1 Corinthians 15, 50, and one verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Uh, you went off and <clears throat> spent time with your families and ate a little bit of food and and visited a little bit, and then you ate, and then you visited, and then you ate, and, and then you ate and visited, and and uh, <clears throat> some of you have made resolutions. I'm not going to get you to raise your hands. How many of you said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go on a die? Because I know it's going to be so many of us, and I hate to see you be a liar. Because <clears throat> you'll break that. You'll break your resolution eventually. I mean, it, we, we just don't like to make long-term resolutions. We like to make them thinking it's going to be better, knowing it's not. All right, let me get into the lesson. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall be changed. Hold on just a minute. I was trying to get all this set up just right. We shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be Changed. That word was used twice in that passage of Scripture. Changed. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Now, the word change is not mentioned there. It's not used. But the mere fact of him saying that we become a new creature means change. It's like that song, I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new wife. That's, that's change. Or is it life? It's life. Have a new life. And <clears throat> that's referring to change. Therefore, if any man, baby, don't help me this morning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What I'm talking to you today about is this, the power of the third change. Now you noticed the word change used in that first passage. It's when we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, we will be changed. Now we don't do anything there. You don't have anything to do with that. God's going to change you. And the second <clears throat> instance that I use in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, you get in Christ by uh, being born again, water and spirit. So again, there's a change. You obey it, but you don't make the change. The Lord actually makes the change. But then there's that third change. The power of that third change, it, it rests upon you and me, our shoulders. Whether I change or not is up to me. You know, it doesn't matter. You can come to church and you can spin around, jump, roll in the floor, run the aisle three or four times, and man, you can leave there and say, didn't we feel God good tonight? Wasn't that a powerful church service? 
But if you don't make any changes in your life, you'll go back to doing the same old things you always did, and you'll get the same results you always got. You're going to be the same person if you don't change some things in your life. So the power of the third change is really up to me and you. God will not do it all. He asked us to do our part, and he'll do that, <clears throat> his part. There are two mentions of change in these verses of Scripture that I read you today. And, man, I'm having all kind of trouble here this morning. I'm <clears throat> I never have this kind of problem with my iPad, but it's opening up those pop-ups on the side. And, and Gary, you hadn't fixed that for me yet, or, or Austin, uh, Andrew. And I need you to do that. <clears throat> okay, there are two mentions of change in these verses. One is what happens to us when the Lord comes back, as I mentioned. Both of these changes are what God does to us and for us. This is the work of God, and it happens to us automatically by God's power. But there is another change that happens to us, which is what we do. The choices that you and I make, the thoughts we think, the actions we take, the things we do, what we say, how we treat others, and how we treat God, all of this is because of change. And this is what Paul was asking us to do in Colossians 3 and 8 when he said that there were some things that we ought to put off and some things we ought to put on. Let's read that. But now he also put off all these. He said, get rid of, put it off, take it out of your life. Anger. Some of you wives are thinking, boy, my husband needs to hear that today. Wrath. Malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then Hebrews 12 and 1 he said, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, Paul then says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So this change that Paul is talking about is what you and I do in our lives. Notice what takes place in Acts 2.38 through 40. We see our part and we see God's part even in this passage of Scripture. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. We change when we repent or we have intentions to change. If you really repent, you're going to be changing. But if you're not really, really sure you're just going to be saying it with an emotional um, feeling in your heart. 
You know, I love you, God, when I'm in your presence. I love you when I'm in church. It feels good to be around you, and it feels good to have people love me. And Pastor Gandy pat me on the back and say, man, you're a great guy. All that feels good and all that. <clears throat> and repentance is actually us changing our lives. Repentance is not God changing us. Repentance is us changing us. When you get the Holy Ghost, that's God changing you. So we change, we repent, and we're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to remit those sins. There had to be a price to pay for them, and Jesus paid that price. And again, this is something that you and I do. We repent, we get baptized. <clears throat> and then we receive the Holy Ghost, and this is what God does for us. For the promise is unto you and your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify, exhorting, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Again, that's what we do. If you're going to be saved, it's not because God's going to save you. You're going to save yourself. You're going to have to make up your mind. Now, God will, will fill you with the Holy Ghost. God will give you the ticket, but it's up to you to redeem it. It's up to you to get on the plane. <laughs> you know, I, I can come, come to you and I say, oh, Brother Adam, you're a good guy. You look like you like to hunt and fish. And I, I bought you a round-trip ticket to Alaska. You're going to fly into Anchorage. i got a guide that's going to pick you up. He's going to take you salmon fishing one day, and then he's going to take you bear hunting the next day. And you just go enjoy. And you say, oh! Brother Gandy, you are the best pastor in the world. And I'll say, well, I knew that. But, you know, you're the greatest guy that ever was. Good to see you, Brother Reese. Brother Willie Reese, another good friend of ours here this morning. And you're an awesome guy and all that. And then you just take that ticket and you go stick it in a drawer somewhere and you never use it. What good has it done yet? And the writer said, save your wife from this underworld generation. Save your children. Save your brother and your sister. What did he say? Save yourself from this underworld generation. So this is our part. This is what we do. You can be confident that God will always do his part in this arrangement. He will always. He'll never let you down or fail you or do wrong. He'll never be late. He'll never make the right decision. God is always correct. It's that third change that's the hard part. It's my part of changing that's so difficult. It's our part in the change process that's difficult. God refuses to do that part for us. He could. He could say, be thou Perfect, and all of a sudden you're perfect. He could do that. And he said, don't ever let them make a mistake ever in their life. Or don't ever let them say the wrong thing. That'd be nice. That would be nice. It would keep us out of so much trouble if God would do that. But God refuses to do that. He will not do your part for you. 
He gives you the power of the Holy Ghost. He gives you a conscience. He gives you the Word of God. He gives you awesome preachers and teachers and people that influence you in order for you to hear the voice of God and save yourselves from this unadored generation. That's our part. I read a story about Henry Ford, and Mr. Ford had a man working for him as a production man manager on the Model T. How many of you ever saw Model T Ford? And one of the first came out. Mr. Ford had this man, this manager. Uh, his name was William Nerdston. And he became convinced that it was time for Mr. Ford to change the design of the Model T because it had been on that same design for four years, and he felt like they needed to change. But there was a problem. Mr. Ford wouldn't even consider the idea of changing his Model T. Ford loved his creation just as it was, and he was opposed to any change at all. And so while Mr. Ford was away on vacation in Europe, Nerdston decided he would surprise Mr. Ford, and he built a new design on a car, a prototype, and he even painted it a color that was so different. He went from black to red. I mean, a beautiful red design. It was a nice convertible, and when Ford returned from Europe off his vacation, he went to Highland Park, Michigan Garage, and he walked in, and there was staring at him that new design that Kirsten had made. And on the, on the scene, mechanics later revealed how Henry Ford responded when he saw that. They said the car had four doors, and the top was down, so it was a convertible. It was painted gleaming red, and it was built on a new low version of the Model T. One eyewitness tells how Ford had his hands in his pocket, and he walked around that car about three or four times. And finally, he got to the left side of the car, and he took his hands out of his pockets, and he grabbed a hold of that door. And they don't even know how he did it. Of course, the hinges weren't that big in those days. But he began to struggle and fight with that thing, and he actually ripped that door off of that car. And then he got another door and started twisting on it, and he actually ripped off another door. And then he gets up and kicks the windshield out. He jumps over the back seat, and he starts pounding on the top. He ripped the top all apart with the heel of his shoe. He totally demolished and wrecked that car as much as he could. Of course, Kirsten, Nerdston, when he saw that, he turned around, went home. He quit and went to work for General Motors. Henry Ford nursed along the Model T for a little while longer, but that design wasn't selling because the competitors' models were new and different. And the competition made it necessary for him to make the changes. And 
His heart never was in it when he made the Model A. Henry Ford was one of the most creative men of his age, but yet Henry Ford resisted change. He did not like change. And you know, most of us resist change to a certain point. We don't like change. I know I'm talking about most of y'all sitting almost in the same chair you sit every service. <laughs> you know you are. Y'all been gone for two weeks. I looked back this morning and came back off of vacation, visited, and they're sitting right there in that same spot. Y'all moved around a little bit. Y'all were back there for a while. Now you moved up. He liked me using him that time I used him when I brought that knife and pulled it out, you know. He said, I like him using me, so they moved up a little closer. Brother Sister Young didn't like being used. They're back in the back. <laughs> no, she's been having some complications with her legs, and she asked me she'd not be looking like an old lady sitting up here and hobbling around. I want to sit back there today. Change is a process. In the church, you've got people who are genuine genuine, and they're sincere seekers of God. They're checking out what it takes to live for God. Some, uh, all stages that come to our church and other churches. And you say, well, does that bother you? And, oh, no, that excites me. I'm glad that we didn't have both of our girls full grown when we had them as kids. <laughs> I'm glad it took a while for them to grow up. We had to get used to having kids. It took a long time for our girls to get out, get married, and get on their own. I don't know how many thousands of dollars later they finally got out, got off of dad's pocketbook, mama's cooking, and, and uh, they began their own lives. It takes a process. But at no point did I want to get rid of my girls because you're not a grown mama. I liked them when they was babies. I liked them when they were small kids. I liked them a little bit when they were teenagers. <laughs> I liked them when they went to college and, and were gone. And I liked them when they came back. And I like them now as when they got married, and I really like them since they made me a grandfather, you know. But they weren't the same stage of their life. The moment they walked in, they didn't just become a full-blown saint. They started out, Paul says, we're babes in Christ. And thank God we don't have a dingbat church. And I said that goofballs and dingbats and idiots that'll attack people and want to change them to look like you do and to clone them to be like you do when they first walk in the doors. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. That's about like coming home uh, from the hospital with a brand new baby and say, all right, now here's your room right here and there's your bed and here's the bathroom over here and here's the refrigerator. I'll see you later. You take care of yourself. You'll be all right. And we want to do that with brand new babes in Christ too. Shame on us. So you're going to have people at all walks of, and all levels of life. 
You're going to have some people that's been in the church for 50, 60 years and know everything about the Bible. They know every character. They could quote scriptures and, and all that. But that don't mean they've got a free ride to heaven. If you don't keep your attitude and your spirit right, you may not make it. You know, you can quote the whole Bible and still be lost. If you don't make the changes in your life that are pleasing to God. And that's why we got to pray. God, while I'm praying, you're going to speak to me about changes that need to be made. I'm going to hear from you. And you're going to talk to me. And I'm going to listen to you. And I'll change to be more like you. And I've watched that process happen in your lives. Most of you I've had a part in your life. There's a few of you that moved here. Thank God for move-ins. But I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of you come a long ways. <laughs> Woo! A long ways. Really a long way some of you come from, you know. If you're already a child of God, God is changing you also. I don't care how long you've been living for God. God's still wanting to change you. He's not finished with you. He speaks. He leads. He reveals. He demonstrates His power. He loves. He gives mercy. He gives grace. So God's still working on me. God's still trying to perfect me, to make me a better person. And if you're not a Christian, if you're just checking this whole thing out, here's the good news for you. You don't have to change and get your act together before God begins to love you and begins to uh, work on you and begin to perfect you. A lot of people think they're not good enough to be a Christian. And I'll have to say amen to that because none of us are. We're not good enough to be a Christian. Somebody said, I don't deserve it. Right, you don't. Some of you less than others. <laughs> we don't deserve it. But God loved us anyhow. He gave us mercy anyhow. We come to God just as we are. At whatever level you are, God loves you and reaches out to you and accepts you and He will start a work in you. The promise is in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, I read it, he's a new creature. Old things, everybody say old things, are passed away. And behold, all things become new. Notice the old things and become new. This old life is gone. The old life is referring to the life without God and a relationship with Him. It's our old spiritual nature. This new life has begun and we have a new nature it's when we go from God's creation to God's child. I'm not just His creation any longer, but I take on the bloodline. I am His son or His daughter. And honey, when you realize that you're in the bloodline, He's your father, then you can approach Him differently. 
You can approach him. Hey, Father, I'm your son and I have a need. And I'm telling you, once you realize that, you can go to him boldly. And God loves it when we approach. What did he say? You have not. Why? If you don't ask him, how are you going to get anything if you don't ask him? It's when you go from being a seeker to somebody that is saved. A new life has begun. In this new life, we are in the process of being sanctified, in the process of being uh, changed to be what God wants us to be. God really desires to change us. God wants to take our hate and change it to love. God wants to take your discontent and change it to joy. He wants to take your insecurity and change it to peace. He wants to take your edgy personality and transform it to patience. He wants to take your anger and rage and change it to gentleness. He wants to take our bitterness and change it to goodness. God wants to take our doubt and change it to faith. He wants to take our arrogance and change it to meekness. He wants to take that which is out of control and transform it into self-control. There are two extreme thoughts about change, and neither of them are biblical. Number one is that the change that takes place in my life it's all God. And I'm telling you, it's not all God, the changes that we take in our life. A lot of people think God does everything. All we have to do is kind of kick back on the couch with this theory, if I don't change, if I don't transform, then it's really God's fault. He messed up. He doesn't have to hold me accountable at all. God blew it. He didn't give me what it takes. So, God, you're the one. You should have changed me. The other extreme says that God saves me, but then, then it's all up to me to change. I've got to work. I've got to do it. I've got to transform. I've got to get my behavior and my personality under control. It's all my work, my discipline, my change of mind, my change of habits. But what the Bible teaches about change, that there is a God part and then there is a me part. God's part is his power. Our part is our cooperation with him. Our willingness, our submissiveness. We cooperate in this process of change, but God's power through His Holy Spirit controls the process. We cooperate. God controls it. It's God's Spirit in us that does the changing. And we do the cooperating. We do the submitting. We get to the attitude, it's not my will, Lord, but it's thine, be done. And that's the hard part. It's that power of that third change. It's the hard part of changing. We need to recognize that your spiritual life is a journey. 
God changing us is a process. It's not an event. It's not a one-time event. It's, it, it, it's a journey, and it's not an overnight sensation. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun, he begun a work, a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he started it. It didn't just happen, poof, and you're a different person. He started working on you. He started changing you. Notice the word begun. That's salvation. If you have a relationship with God, you said yes. You become willingness. You said, forgive me my sins. You obeyed his word and you had faith and you accepted salvation. He filled you with his spirit. It began. Notice the word perform it until. That's sanctification. That is the process and the journey. Have you ever been on a road trip with kids? And it starts out, everybody's excited. You're packing the car. You're planning. You're getting ready. You get on the car, and everybody's smiling. And, boy, you're just, just excited. And they said, how much longer are we there yet? In about every 15 minutes, how much further? I just told you a while ago, it's three hours. Now it's Two hours and 45 minutes, and then 15 minutes later. How much longer? Two hours and 30 minutes. Two hours and 15 minutes. Two, shut up! <laughs> One of the reasons we have so much of the problem living for God is we're an instant gratification society. We want stuff right now. <laughs> I don't want to wait. Well, I was watching my little grandson the other day. He wanted a bottle. And I'm telling you, he saw him making it, and he just, I mean, rah, rah, he got an awfulest contortion on it. How can something that beautiful look so wild? How can they look so mean and ugly in just one moment? It's because he wasn't getting his way. Why did we frown when we don't get away? If we realized how we, God ought to just drop a mirror every time we do something stupid. He ought to let us see how we look when we throw our little fits and our little tantrums and our little attitudes. He ought to just drop a big old mirror and project it around, put it on internet, put it on Facebook. Yeah, this is Gail Howe today. She's mad at Brad. Yeah, everybody look. Here we are, you know. One of the reasons we, we want it right now, we're, we're the kind of people, we go to a vending machine, and some of you put your money in, and 1.1 second later, if that Coke hadn't dropped, bam, boom, boom, boom. You know? We want it right now. We go through McDonald's, beep, 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 hurry up. We're in a hurry, always in a hurry. How many of you ever got on the elevator, go in the hospital, or go and see somebody, and you push that button and it don't get there? Bing, 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 bing. You punch it again. Come on. How many of you ever done it? You'll punch it two or three times. Yeah, you know what you're doing? You're telling that, that elevator. And that elevator is, oh, man, 
Oh, Brother Adam's up on the 10th floor. I better run up there. He must be in a hurry. Let me skip all these other floors and just go up there and pick him up. Because he done punched that button four times. That elevator just really gets excited when you do that. Why do we do that? Elevator don't talk to us, don't know who we are. It makes no difference, but we think it's going to speed up the process. The reason that we have problem changes, making changes in our life, because we don't understand God's time clock. It's very different than ours. We, he knows his part. He knows what he's doing. He makes no mistakes. I know I've gone over a couple of minutes. These ushers are standing back there looking at me with a mean look, but I don't care. I'll cut y'all's pay. Don't fool with me. I'm pastor now. He knows his part. He makes no mistakes. He can see the ending from the beginning. He's the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. He knows everything when it starts and the ends. He knows all the in-between. He sees things we don't see. No, we're not there yet. We are a work in the process. And what you need to do is just start enjoying the process. Just start enjoying living for God. Turn to somebody and say, you're not finished and you're not perfect. You're not finished. You're not perfect. God's still working on you. And why don't you quit rebelling against him? Why don't you stop telling him no? Why don't you quit? God gets you by the hand just like a lot of kids. You know, when kids don't want to go somewhere, you can get them by the hand. Come on. Uh, and they dragging their feet. You have to drag them. You know what I'm talking about? And God's trying to come on. I want to take you to a higher level. I want to, I want to use you. I want to bless you. I want you to be something in the kingdom. We're going to drag our feet and rebel and fight against him. Don't tell me what to do. And God says, all right. I won't tell you anymore. I'll just leave you alone. You do your own thing. See how you like it when I'm not directing it. And then all of a sudden, we get to directing our own lives, and we get in trouble. We get to having problems. God, where are you when I need you the most? Well, you told him you didn't want him dragging you along. You didn't want him pulling you and changing you and making you better. You didn't want him working off the rough edges and make the rough places smooth and the uh, crooked path straight. You didn't want all that. And he said, well, you just do what you want to do. And it ain't so fun. It's not fun at all when we start pushing against God and fighting against him and start having problems and all that. I like it better when I'm having that good life and enjoying me and God, my family, my church, and feeling blessed, feeling happy. The joy of the Lord flowing. Contentment. Hallelujah. God bless you. Thank you for coming today.